Thank you, guys. So much encouraging, so many encouraging things we've already sung and said. Um, Psalm 130, though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is it doesn't minimize the human condition. It doesn't tell us that, hey, everything's okay, everything's okay. No, it says that even though our sins are great, even though our misery is great, right, our woes are sore, and yet his grace much more, much more abounds. And then in that, that catechism question, you know, it's such a, such a basic question. What happens when we die? Where do we go? What happens? We don't end up in purgatory. There's not some halfway point or train station. Those, the souls of believers, those who are in Christ, immediately, immediately see Jesus. Immediately are face-to-face. Immediately are perfected. And we await our bodies on the resurrection day. What beautiful truths. Well, this morning uh, we're going to continue our series in Proverbs, Walking with the Wise. Um, give you a heads up on where we're headed next. We're going to hopefully wrap this series up by the end of this month. Uh, and then we are going to prepare for nominating new elders and deacons. We'll do that um, the first Sunday in November. And so we're going to spend uh, the, next, uh, the next series, we're going to spend looking at leadership. Um, what, what kind of leader uh, does Jesus give to his church? Uh, who are those who are those people? What are they like? So we're going to, our next series is going to be in uh, leadership uh, as we prepare for that. And that will be our prayer focus for the month of October. Um, that's right, folks. We're almost in October. We have, uh, we're in the home stretch of uh, 21. We have entered the last quarter. So um, time, is, time is running out. Um, but today uh, we'll continue in Proverbs. Uh, as Zach mentioned, we're going to look at our work. And so just to show you how we've progressed, we've spent a few weeks looking at our hearts, uh, our desires, and we've seen how God's wisdom speaks to those desires. And then last week, we looked at how God's wisdom speaks to our tongues, our lips, what we say, because that comes out of our hearts. And now, today, we're going to look at what God's wisdom says to our hands, what we do, how we work. Because that, too, also comes out of our hearts. So let's give our attention to God's word. We're going to, the, the key verse today will be Proverbs 21, 25 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a black pew Bible there in front of you in the chair. Uh, we'll be on page 543. 21 is the chapter, the chapter number is the big 21. And then the verse number is that small number there at the beginning of the, the verse. So we'll be in 21. Start reading in verse 25, and then I'll reference some other Proverbs as we go. This is God's word. The desire of the sluggard kills him because his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, as we talk about 
work as we continue to look at wisdom and what it means to walk in wisdom. We just pray for your help that you would teach us, teach us what to do with our hands. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God cares about your work. You ever thought about that? God cares about your work. You know, we, we have a tendency to uh, separate things into categories, right? We have a tendency to put things into buckets. And so, right, usually, right, religion, God, morality, you know, morality kind of bleeds over. But really, all the, the spiritual stuff, it goes in this bucket over here. Uh, and our work, it, it goes in this bucket over here. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a student, right, if you're in elementary or middle or high school, you also have work. Your work is school, right? But still, we put that in this bucket. But the, what the Bible says, the crazy thing about the Bible, it says that God actually is Lord over all of it, right? That this, God, religion, etc., actually informs this over here. So God cares about your work, right? Remember our, remember our definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. It's God's world, all of it. And so learning wisdom means we're learning how to live correctly in it. Uh, another way to say it is that wisdom is the way things work best. And that includes our work. So how do you view your work? Is it a, a necessary evil? Boring, tedious, annoying, something you just kind of got to get out of the way, you know? Sure, it pays the bills, puts food on the table, but I'd rather be doing something else. I'd rather be fishing. Is that the way you view your work? Do you view your work as a means to enrich yourself, right? Uh, work is for providing my needs. Um, maybe, maybe your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents uh, were raised in poverty. And so somewhere along the way, the, the narrative began of saying, all right, I'm going to, it's going to be different for my kids, right? I'm going to build a different future. Uh, so work is, work is building that future, right? It, it it's to enrich myself or to enrich my children, provide a stable foundation. Or, you know, another version of that would say, work is for my satisfaction. I don't want a job that doesn't satisfy me. Right? I'm not su super worried about how much money I make as long as it pays the bills. I want a job that satisfies me personally. That's how I view work. Or maybe you wonder, does my job even matter? Right? I'm a... Uh, cog in the wheel, you know, I'm just part, I'm, a, I'm a, an assembly line worker, I'm a truck driver, I'm a plumber, I just, you know, I'm part of this industrial commercial complex and, and nobody even notices what I do, it just is, I'm insignificant. What do you think about your work, whether you head to an office or you head to a field or you head to the laundry room and then the kitchen and back and forth 18 times in a day. Or you prepare lessons for either the children in your home or children outside of your home. What do you think about your work? Well, let's look and see what Proverbs has to say about it. 
Um, the, the main idea today is that God gives us work to benefit ourselves and other people. I think that's the, the message, of course, not only of Proverbs, but also of the Scriptures. But we'll see it in Proverbs. First, what we hear from Proverbs is that work is good. Work is good. So to those who would say, man, work is just work. You know, it's a, it's a menial task. It's a necessary evil. I got to get through it. Proverbs says, no, work is good. In fact, if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates man, we see that God gives man work. So that means that before sin in Genesis 3, there, I know some of you don't believe this, work came before sin. Right? God creates work before sin enters the world. That means work is good. It's part of our humanity. We are designed to work. Work is a gift. Right? It's part of who we are. It's part of what it means to be made in God's image. But in fact, it's more than that. Look at, if you look at Genesis 1, what is God doing for most of Genesis 1? He's working. God is a worker. And then what is God doing in Genesis 2? He's getting his hands dirty, so to speak. He's crafting this beautiful paradise, and then he molds, he, right, he shapes man out of the clay, and then later on he makes woman. God is a worker. And when we work, we imitate him. Here's a crazy paradigm for you. That means that work is worship. You think about that? That how you work and the fact that you work is actually worship. That you can glorify God in the way that you work. This was a big difference. This is, this is, why, this is one of the ways that um, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s changed the Western world. I'm not going to give you the whole history lesson, but prior to that point, basically it, it looked like this, right? There was, a, there was those buckets we were talking about. There was a sacred bucket and a secular bucket. And all of the sacred stuff, right, the clergy, the church, the priests, the bishops, that was a calling. We still talk that way today, don't we? That people who go into the ministry are called into the ministry, right? That, that it's special work. It's really important. And then you had all the other stuff. And they pretty much just exist to, to support that, right? But one of the changes that the Reformation said, it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, I think it was Luther. Luther is rumored to have said, nobody's actually found this quote yet, but he's rumored to have said that the milkmaid can milk cows to the glory of God. That the farmer shoveling manure and the dairymaid milking cows can give God as much glory as the pastor praying and preaching. Right? There's a dignity to work. And there's glory in work. Work is good. Listen to Proverbs 27, 18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master will be honored. Tending a fig tree... Being a bodyguard, those don't sound like super glorious tasks, right? It's not a king or a president or something amazing like that. And yet, when they're done well, 
there's honor. God is glorified in work done well. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Work is good. That's the Bible's perspective. But, but what is it good for? Well, first off, work is good for you. Uh, that kind of sounds like something your dad or granddad would say. Work's good for you, boy. Go sweat. Roll tide. Right? So bear with me. That's not quite what I have in mind. Right? How is work good for us? Well, work provides for us. That's, that's the way God has designed the universe to work, that we provide for ourselves and for our families through work. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So you see the contrast there, right? The, the slack hand, slack, negligent, lazy, can't finish the job. That leads to poverty, not having what you need. By the way, there's a couple of words used for poverty in the Old Testament. There's poverty that is caused by circumstances, war, injustice, etc. Right? Poverty, poverty that is caused by things outside of your control. Now, the Bible speaks to that, too. That's a justice issue. Right? And the Bible calls his people, God's people, to remedy that as far as possible. To restore justice where there is injustice. So there's that poverty. But then there's another kind of poverty. And that is the poverty caused through your own inactivity. Through not working. It's a different kind of poverty. And that too we remedy. But this through work. So the opposite of the slack hand is the diligent hand. And the, and the, the word diligent doesn't mean you sweat more than everyone else. The word diligent means consistent, attentive, persistent. Diligent means you hoe all the way to the end of the row. You finish the job, right? Um, George Anders wrote a book called You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education uh, and I realize that not everyone in here is, is part of the college crowd, and that's perfectly okay. But uh, one of the things that one of the points that Anders makes, I think, is really interesting, is the way that we have changed our perception of education. We think of education as preparation for a certain task. So this is that's called pragmatism. Uh, so, like for instance, I'm a math struggler. Okay, uh, that wasn't my strong suit in school. And so you could hear me regularly say in high school, what am I ever going to do with algebra? It serves no purpose. What am I ever going to do with calculus, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I don't imagine many of us use calculus day in and day out, right? But that's a very kind of skill-oriented view of education. I get educated so I can do this job. But Western education wasn't designed to do that. Western education was designed not to create a, a... a person for a job, but to create a certain kind of character. That's why we have core classes, right? Because it was, the, des- the design was to make you competent in lots of areas. You were a well-rounded person who could then go into the job market and do any number of tasks. That's what Western education was for. Because what you were saying when you went to a prospective employer was, look, I finished. 
I went through all of the assignments. I went through all of the papers. I went through all of the exams, and I completed. Right? You're showing that you could work all the way to the end, that you were diligent. That's work. And so just as the slack hand leads to poverty, so diligent leads to, diligence leads to wealth, leads to abundance. Another character we meet here in Proverbs is the sluggard. Listen to this description of the sluggard in chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What's he saying? Hey, look, the ant doesn't need a boss constantly on her back going, better get it done, better get it done, better get it done. She just does it. She's preparing for the next season. And he says this, how long will you lie there, sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So the sluggard, I think the, the New Living Translation calls him lazy bones. Instead of diligently preparing like the ant, the sluggard just keeps sleeping, saying, hey, I'll get to it. You know, I'll get, I, not yet, not yet. I'll get to it eventually. And then all of a sudden wakes up to find himself robbed and beaten, as it were, by poverty. So work, work is how... We provide for ourselves. Work is good because it provides for us. Work is also good because it helps, uh, it improves your place in life. Listen to Proverbs twelve twenty four. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful, another term for the sluggard, lazy person, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So, that you're seeing what he's saying, the diligent, the, the diligent person is diligent with himself, diligent with herself, and therefore she continues to rise, right? She continues to get promotions, etc. right? The diligent person rules himself well and is therefore moved up to rule others, while the slothful person does not rule himself well and ends up being ruled by others. The difference can be diligence. One commentator puts it this way. Ironically, the hand that avoids work ends up performing the most burdensome task. So it's not that the lazy person ends up not working, right? But the lazy person, instead of getting to choose their job, their job chooses them. They're put to work by someone else, whereas the diligent person uh, is the one putting to work, Right? So work is good because it can help you improve your place in life. So to the person who's asking, does my work matter? Is my work important? Proverbs answers, yes. Work is good for you because through it your needs are met and your station is improved. But that's not the only good we have in work. Work is not just good for us. It's also good for those around us. Look again at uh, Proverbs 21 25 through 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. 
All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So now here's this comparison. Again, you have the sluggard, and he's seen as someone who just, like, his appetites are never-ending. He always wants and wants and wants. The problem is he's not willing to work to get any of those wants. And so what happens is his cravings lead to death. He could satisfy those cravings, but he refuses to work. But the opposite, his opposite here is the righteous person. Whereas the sluggard craves and craves while doing nothing about it, the righteous person works and gives freely to others without restraint. And so work is the me- one of the reasons work is go- good for those around us is because it allows us to be generous. And we'll talk more about wealth and generosity next week. But your work allows you to be generous. And even that is not the end of the story. Work also allows us to build up society. So we don't just contribute to ourselves, but we contribute to the greater society as a whole. Proverbs 18, 9. Whoever is slack, there's that word again, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. So what that proverb is saying is laziness not only accomplishes nothing, It actually destroys. It actually tears down society. That the lazy person is the same as the person who destroys. And so to the person who would say, my work doesn't matter, it's insignificant, Proverbs would say, no, your work is the chief way you can love your neighbor. How many of you have, uh, before taking a road trip, how many of you have prayed that God would give you a safe trip? Now, you got there and you got back. How many of you, and I'm indicting myself on this, how many of us give thanks for all of the construction workers that paved the road between here and there? Of course you did. Right? So there's, right? Now, I don't don't know if the person who's, who's riding the road grader or who's paving the interstate ever says, man, my work is meaningful. But it is because millions of people travel on it. Uh, how, about, how about the thousands of hands that put your car together so that it doesn't fall apart as soon as you fall out of the, as soon as you fall out of the driveway, as soon as you drive out of the driveway, right? Now, I had some doubts about the Ford Tempo that I drove in the 90s. <laughs> you got to a certain speed, I think that thing was going to fall apart, um, right? So again, people who would think that, man, my work's not significant. I don't matter. You do, Right? the chief way that you love your neighbor. Now, to the person who would say, work is for me, right? Work is for my benefit. Wisdom says, no, work is for others too. It is so that you can uh, increase, build up society and be generous with other people. Listen to Bruce Waltke. He's an Old Testament scholar. Here's his description of the righteous person in this verse. He says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. There's really the, the crux of the matter. 
The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. Now, who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. John 13, 1. Jesus is about to have a meal with his closest friends. They don't know what's coming, but he does. It's the eve before uh, he will be arrested and beaten and crucified. And so here's what it says as they're, as, they're about to meet, as they're about to eat together. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus had done a lot. He'd accomplished a lot in his brief ministry. And here we are on the eve before his greatest work, right? Not only his greatest work, but it's also his most demanding work. Right? If there's any time to quit, this is it. Because this is going to be a costly 24 hours. But it says that Jesus, having loved his own, loved them all the way to the end. He was diligent. He finished the job. In fact, John 17, what are Jesus' last words from the cross? It is finished. Jesus finishes the job. Listen to Hebrews 12 and how it encourages us. It says this, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? So we're being called to a diligent running. Right? But what is the motivator? What is the motivator of that diligent run? Here's another perspective on work we didn't talk about. And it's probably one that most of us wouldn't voice, but I imagine that deep down somewhere it's in there. And it's the, it's the perspective on work that says, I am my work. Right? I, I am what I do. My identity is wrapped up in my working. This, by the way, is where workaholism comes from, right? You wouldn't work all those hours if there wasn't something intrinsically tied up in your identity about it. If you weren't trying to make a statement about who you think you are through your work. And so I want you to hear how the gospel frees us from that. That while work is good, it is a gift, it is the way we worship, it's the way we benefit ourselves, it's the way we benefit others... We are not our work. It is an aspect of who we are. It is not who we are. Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the ultimate worker. He's the one who finished the race. And now he stands on the other side of the finish line, beckoning you to finish it with him. He's completed it. It's finished. You have nothing to earn before the Father. Your work does not make you, and your work does not break you. If you're in Christ, he has done all that is necessary. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of work. We confess, Lord, that oftentimes we make it uh, more about us than we need to. Lord, would you correct our perspective? 
Would you help us to see how you're at work, in our work, that even those of us who don't feel like our jobs are very important, would you help us to see how you're using our jobs to provide for our families, but also to benefit those around us? Lord, would you help us to work with a right perspective? As Paul says in Ephesians 6, 6, may we work not to please other people, but to please you. May that be our heart and soul in our work. Lord, help us to not detach work from you, but to develop a right way to think about our work, a biblical way of thinking about our work. Lord, for those uh, in our church who struggle economically, who struggle to find good work, Lord, I pray that you would open doors and provide connections and that you would give, Lord, each of us the diligence to work hard, not to prove ourselves, but to do good. Father, we pray uh, today for those in our church who are sick. Lord, we pray for Alma Tipton. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to her body. Lord, we also pray uh, for Natalie Holmes and pray that you would give her rest and refreshment and encouragement. Father, we pray uh, this morning for our nation. We pray for the economy of our nation. Um, Lord, we pray that you would, well, first, actually, we thank you. Uh, that our economy is what it is. Lord, that because of those uh, biblical foundational ideas at its beginning, um, so we have things like a free market economy uh, that usually benefits those who work hard. Lord, we do pray uh, where there is injustice, where there are um, companies and bosses who take advantage of their employees, Lord, we pray that you would right that injustice. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you, so you, you would create a flourishing economic situation in our country. Lord, we also pray for our world. We pray for its leaders. Lord, uh, we pray that you would give us such leaders that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Lord, I pray uh, that we would be diligent in praying for our leaders. Lord, we pray for their wisdom and their direction and their courage. We pray for truth. We pray for justice uh, instead of corruption. We pray for truth instead of lies. We pray for courage instead of cowardice. God, would you be at work in all of our world's leaders? Father, we pray for the country of Nepal. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the growth of the church there, and we pray that it would continue to grow uh, despite threats and opposition. Lord, we pray for the political stability uh, and economic renewal of Nepal, that it would be the sort of country where people can flourish. Father, and at the opposite end of the spectrum, we pray for the Netherlands, uh, a country probably that uh, may give us an indication of where we are going. Uh, very wealthy uh, Great Christian heritage and history, uh, and yet now only 16% of the population attends church regularly. Lord, uh, we thank you for our brothers and sisters who remain there, that there is uh, a living and vibrant church. We thank you for the migrant communities who have bolstered uh, the native uh, Dutch church. And God, we pray that your church would thrive again um, 
and that through Christian influence, the Netherlands would continue to be a haven for the oppressed, luckless, and persecuted peoples of the world. Lord, we bring all of these prayers before you in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.